The Education Channel supports individual educational goals and encourages creativity for all. Visit uctv.tv slash education. Hauka, hello. My name is Devon Lomaisva. I'm the Chief Judge of the Intertribal Court of Southern California and a member of the Ipe Nation of Santa Isabel. We welcome you to our series where we will explore the Tribal Youth Court from its development to its implementation. Years ago, the court embarked on research to find a way to bring our tribal youth that have found themselves going down the wrong path, a mechanism by which they could be reintroduced to their communities and move forward in a positive way. That research led us to the development of a youth peer court where we practice concepts of restorative justice and the development of wellness plans to ensure that the youth are addressing all the issues that led them to where they are. I am Dwight Lomaisman. I'm the director for the American Indian Recruitment Programs. I also work as a team member for this youth court project. I'm a Hopi tribal member from Northern Arizona. And I'm gonna be talking about the aspects of our collaboration and our training that we have uh, installed within this whole fabric of the Tribal Youth Court. In understanding how to go about training our students on restorative justice, we need to install in them the differences between Western constructs of law and that of tribal law. Tribal laws are very much about our communities. Our communities at hand hold wellness in a different pattern in which everyone has relations within our communities. So therefore, we do not want to have our tribal members leaving. We want to bring them back into the fabric of our communities, hence our restorative justice ideals. We must change our ideals on justice and look to a means to restore our tribal customs and tradition. And that's why we have established our youth court training. The Native Youth Court Project is a collaborative project with not only our tribes within Southern California and the San Diego region in particular, but it is also with our universities who are working with us, implementing our training and helping us in bringing our content to a mass group within the whole region. It's very difficult as some of our tribes are very rural and span over 120 miles from San Diego itself. So you can see why working with our collaborative partners is a very important aspect of our program in which we can go through the internet, go through media, and get our information across. In developing our curriculum, we looked at various models. How do we bring restorative justice? How do we have our students understand these, this ideal? Well, we looked at an overarching scope of where restorative justice should be. Then we looked at some of our tribes that are participating and joined in the fabric of what they believe restorative justice should be. In that facet, we've come up with various ideas from various tribes trying to bring in and hone in this idea that 
Restorative justice is different among tribe to tribe, but however, it is within the fabric of custom and tradition. And to bring wellness, we have to understand the tribes and their ideas on what custom and tradition would be. Further ideals of creating restorative justice and this peer decision-making training, we want our students to understand these ideas of wellness and restorative justice and tribal governance ideals. Hence, they will make more informed decisions utilizing this. We also see the added benefits of creating academic enrichment designed to allow the native high school youth to earn university-level credit as a bonus. We also want to have our peer decision-maker training, have the opportunity for student leadership. Leadership is not just making laws and creating various high points of motivating people. It's very much about community service and volunteering to help our community out through wellness and developing how can we help this individual who has just done some knucklehead things in life. Our training, when brought through the university, can be asynchronous online, and we can project our training out to the furthest regions of our community, uh, some 175 miles away, all the way up to Northern California if needed uh, through online methods. We create cohorts in which our students gather together in their tribal education centers, and they all combine their efforts to learn the topic at hand, the weekly topic. Working with the instructor, we have mentors who, in turn, kind of act as a proxy uh, instructor and helping our students uh, during these sessions. Overall, this pattern has worked well. Our recent statistics have our students succeeding in a vast and incredible amount of success. The last couple of times we've had 100% passage. In a recent poll in 2015 of community college online courses, only 65% of the students passed their online courses. Our statistics speak for themselves as we're seeing 83, 90% to 100% per course that we have delivered. Our first course is Legal Systems, offered through UCSD Extension. That talks about the Western constructs of law and the legal system. We contrast this with our own course brought through UCSD Extension, Introduction to Tribal Legal Studies, where we talk about restorative justice we talk about tribal settings. We talk about tribal courts and restorative justice at each one of our tribes. Therefore, giving a well-balanced understanding for our youth, peer decision makers to have when creating a wellness plan and adjudicating our juvenile offender. Thank you. Hello, my name is Abriana Pingleton. I'm from the Viejas Band of Kumia Indians. Um, I'm 16, I'm a junior, and I'm currently enrolled in UCSD's Introduction to Legal Studies and Introduction to Tribal Legal Studies. Um, this course is really helpful for me because as a uh, 
young Native American. We are the upcoming generation who is responsible for taking care of our communities. And that starts with understanding our tribal structure and understanding how sovereignty relates to us as a community and how important and essential it is to protect it. Through this course, I'm learning things like our tribal government. I'm learning about the Indian Child Welfare Act. I'm learning about all of these different um, aspects of law that really affect our communities and play into current social issues. I think one of the biggest differences between Native cultures and non-Native cultures is that, uh, as I mentioned, Native Americans, federally recognized tribes, have a certain political status that other um, minority or other ethnicities in America do not have. And we, as a tribe, have a obligation to protect that political status and to uphold our own system of governments government that looks out for our people and our community. Um, also, we are a very small, a very small community, and therefore we're very close. Um, typically, Native Americans, especially on reservations that are close to one another, all know each other, and therefore we have very strong family ties, and we have very strong connections uh, that are not easily broken. As a junior, I am currently looking into different colleges that I want to go into, and this course is very helpful because it uh, it shows me what a real college course is actually like, what the workload is, and what the class consists of, what the expectations are. My name is Michaela Hernandez. I am affiliated with the Pachanga Tribe of Luceno Indians. I am a peer decision maker. And today I want to talk about um, the, what USD and the AIR program has to offer. Out of the many things that I've learned with Native and non-Native communities, one thing that really stuck out to me regarding Native communities is the welcoming and forgiving atmosphere. To me, I feel like Native communities are much more welcoming and almost always offer some sort of extended family type of atmosphere. Compared to a non-Native community, it might take a bit longer to feel or to be accepted by everyone. Whereas in an Indigenous community, there's a bigger acceptance to the idea of family. And I did mention forgiveness earlier as well. And I think that idea just ties back into the idea of family. And yes, not everyone's family is picture perfect. But in my opinion, Native communities are more forgiving, more understanding, more eager to let go of grudges and to move on with life rather than the opposites you might encounter in a non-Native community. It's no surprise to anyone that the criminal justice system in the United States is broken and in need of complete reconstruction. The criminal justice system, the way I see it, is a business. It's a business that is constantly profiting off of the poor, the vulnerable, and the people of color. So when I say that, when a Native community, a tribe, is offering wellness plans that are focused on bettering the community, it's no shock that the positive outcome is much greater than someone who is getting thrown into a six-by-eight-foot cell for days, months, years as punishment with no sense of reform and just a lack of understanding. How is someone able to right their wrongs, let alone see their wrongdoings? When they're counting down the days they have left behind bars or fixating on when their next phone call is going to be, etc. How are they bettering the community they harmed when these inmates are being stored away and treated as nothing but another statistic in the criminal justice system? There is just no restorative justice happening. Well, on the other hand, Native communities are integrating those that did do wrong and pushing them back into the communities that they were once a part of, where they're able to face their problems head on and make amends with the things and the people that they have hurt. 
I decided not to attend USD this year due to personal reasons, but I did take online legal courses through USD in the AIR program my senior year of high school last year. I learned a lot through the courses I took, especially from one of my professors, Professor Clifton Emerson. He is such a hardworking man who I aspire to be like. He taught me a lot. For example, he taught me a lot about collateral estoppel or how to write a case brief. By taking these courses at USD and through the AIR program, I was nominated for Student of the Year by Mr. Dwight Lomayespa. And this is what really pushed me to push myself harder in my studies. I aspire to be a criminal defense lawyer and hopefully start my own law firm one day in the near future. And these courses at USD helped give me the foundation that I needed to start my studies and provided me with such knowledge and the confidence to pursue my dreams and do better, not only for myself, but for the people I will, I will be representing in the future as a lawyer. Although the Juvenile Justice Court hasn't actually performed an actual hearing yet, I am on standby for that and will happily assist in anything that they need me to do. Thank you. Hi, I'm Diane Cisneros. I'm the Youth Court Coordinator with our Tribal Youth Court, and I'm going to show you a look into our Tribal Youth Court model. Our Tribal Youth Court model is a diversion program, and diversion programs have been found to reduce recidivism by 45% for those who participate. We are trauma-informed and provide culturally sensitive care to address the root causes of some of these behaviors. We have our Peer Decision Maker Intervention Program, where we educate our Native youth while positively influencing the participants at the hearing. We also have our community partners that provide services to help and heal where healing may have been neglected with some of our participants. Tribal Youth Court is a collaborative community effort. Our planning efforts promote the use of diversion and positive youth development while utilizing regional university partnerships, partnerships with health and social service agencies, our tribes, educational partners, and legal partners. Our Peer Decision Maker program prepares our youth through tribal governance training. The Peer Decision Maker training program prepares youth to fulfill the rules at the hearing in which they'll set the boundaries and parameters of our sentencing phase. They can take half-day trainings on restorative justice concepts or the enhanced training option provides academic enrichment with university-level credit, native content-based courses on tribal restorative justice principles and tribal governance. Our tribal youth court model is a peer jury with judge. We provide individualized wellness plans for each participant determined on nature and severity of their offenses. After the participant is deemed eligible for our program, we will work with the youth and their family and devise a wellness plan and schedule meetings and check-ins and hearings with them. At our hearings, a sentence will be delivered by the peer jury within the parameters of our pre-selected plan. We will monitor the youth throughout our program and provide check-ins and try to meet the needs of anything that comes up with our participants or their families. Our wellness plans are sage, willow, and oak. They have a duration of 10, 20, or 30 weeks, where each participant will receive a number of community service hours, cultural participation hours, and life skills assignments. These are the foundation of our program, and each plan is customized for each participant. Community service hours engage our youth in community service that is meant to provide participants with the opportunity to increase social and relationship skills within their community. Our cultural participation is a unique component of our tribal youth court. These hours are meant to provide participants with opportunities to engage in or learn for the first time about cultural practices. And our life skill assignments is meant to teach participants that skills that are necessary for independent living. 
Here's an overall look at our court procedures. We start with a referral that can be through the school representative, tribal representative, tribal police, or a self-referral. We do our intake where we'll meet with the participant and their family to have them answer some questions that'll help us devise their wellness plans. We'll meet with them at a pre-hearing conference where the judge, court coordinator, and the court advocate will discuss the case facts and select a wellness track. The participant will then come back for an initial hearing where we'll decide the parameters of their wellness track with the peer decision makers and the judge. Then each participant will receive the boundaries of their wellness plan and will begin doing their service hours, participation hours, and their cultural activities and lifestyle assignments. And hopefully in the end, they'll, they're able to finish all that is required and they will graduate from our program. Thank you. Miyohwe, Miyohwe, Nenetu, Angela, Medrano. I'm from the Kuya Band of Indians and serve as a pro tem judge and the youth court judge for the Intertribal Court of Southern California. The youth court was established to help us incorporate some restorative justice concepts when interfacing with our youth who are at risk of becoming justice involved or who are already justice involved. The idea is that they're referred through the tribal court where they can have a more community-based response and intervention to what's going on with them. So primary feature of our youth court model, it is hearing. So that borrows a bit from the European or US legal system. And each case, once it's been through an intake process, will have an initial hearing. So each participant will have an initial hearing and a few follow-up hearings after that review hearings. We also do practice hearings. These are mock hearings for our peer decision makers. And so if they've gone through the honors program, they've had a year long of courses designed to give them an education on the US legal system, tribal legal system and tribal governance, um, as well as some study skills, because we find that that's helpful for them in their regular course of studies, but also when taking part in the honors program, which is a set of classes that the students can receive college credit for. So part of that program is the mock hearing so they can have an opportunity to put their learned knowledge in tribal laws and restorative justice to practice before they have to do it in a setting where the impact is, is real, where they're touching the life of one of our youth participants who were on the verge of or already justice involved. So our peer decision makers have the opportunity to go through a half-day training seminar. This is true for students who participated in the honors program, but students don't have to do that to be a part of the tribal youth court. They can also simply participate as peer decision makers only. To prepare them to do that, we utilize some of the personnel from the intertribal court. 
as well as personnel from the Tribal Youth Court. So their half-day seminar gives them an overview of what an intertribal court is, how our intertribal court functions, and the role of the Tribal Youth Court within there, as well as for our honors students, they're having a, a review of restorative justice, but for our other participant peer decision makers, they're learning about restorative justice. We also provide an overview of the Tribal Youth Court itself to them so that they have an understanding of what the program is and what each part of the program is meant to accomplish. Uh, we find that it's helpful for, for anyone, but for the youth in particular, to really have a strong buy-in to something that they understand and that someone's taken the time to really explain the why behind what's going on, not just someone dictating this is the way it is. Um, and at the end of their training, there is the mock hearing. And so we've set up a few case scenarios where an imaginary youth from the community is involved in committing a, a civil infraction under the tribal laws. And our first one has been like a tagging incident. And so we, there's some background information provided. The students go through that scenario just as if it was, was a true scenario with even an, an actor playing the part of the participant who has found themselves making errant decisions. So the peer decision maker's role within the hearings um, actually starts before the hearing. There is a pre-hearing meeting. They will typically arrive about a half hour before the scheduled hearing. And just like in the US legal system, we'll go through a conflict checked with our peer decision makers to ensure that the folks who will be part of that group are able to provide um, a fair and an influenced opinion or level of participation in the matter. They'll also select a foreman, a spokesperson. Um, that again is kind of mirroring from our US system. Um, that person kind of works as a coordinator within the peer decision maker group and will be the first person called upon during the hearing itself, and will also share the group's consensus on the wellness plan. So during the pre-hearing meeting, the peer decision makers have the opportunity to review the citation itself, if it's a citation. If the participant comes to us through a referral that is not a citation, then they'll review that referral. They'll also have the opportunity to review some ancillary documents that were completed during the intake process. So they'll have a little bit of input um, from the youth's reflection on a few questions that are posed in the intake and potentially from a parent or guardian as well. Now, once they've had the opportunity to digest all of that, 
they're led through a process where they will each select one to two questions that they believe will help illuminate and give them a better sense of what was going on, what happened, what led our participant to find themselves where they are today. Because when we're looking at restorative justice, those are the factors that need to be taken into account in order to fully address the issues that the participant is facing, which you know may not necessarily be through their own fault or actions. The idea is to restore the community by restoring the individual and helping to bridge those gaps that may have grown over the years or over generations. So during the hearing, our peer decision makers are reminded that the proceedings are confidential. It's important for the integrity of the tribal youth court programming that it is a safe environment for the participants in that they know that this is between them, the court, the peer decision makers, and not for the whole world, not to put them out for some sort of judgment, but to be a place where um, we're able to address what has occurred in a way that's respectful to the community and to the individual. So confidentiality plays an important role in making that happen. Our peer decision makers during the hearings will be asking those questions. They have the opportunity to have that direct contact with our participants so they can get a sense of what is going on, what may be underlying problems, uh, even attitude or a sense of remorse. We find that the youth are interested in getting to know because that will impact how they conduct their deliberations later. Once the first part of the hearing is completed, the peer decision makers are excused and a recess is taken during the hearing. Peer decision makers will uh, enter a space. It's still guided and coordinated by the tribal youth court. And they engage in a discussion. They apply their restorative justice concepts. And they we ask them to reach a consensus. And why a consensus? Um, a consensus is a really important part of our tribal communities and traditional ways of reaching conclusions and decisions for things that may be impacting the community. Because the consensus allows each person in the community to be heard. And for every concern, every factor to be weighed by all involved. And it's not about um, winning losing, guilty, innocent. It's about finding the solution that is right for that individual 
And so that's why we asked them to reach this consensus so that when we're when the peer decision makers are back in the hearing and sharing their decision with the participant, that they're presenting their decision as a unified voice. And we find that important in terms of having a great impact on our participant to hear that their peers um, came to a unified decision about the situation. So what are they even deciding about? They're deciding about the core components. So I know we referenced the wellness plan. That is what the youth is going to be completed. The wellness plan has three core components. Those are community service, cultural activities, and life skills activities. These were selected for uh, the impact that we know that they create within um, tribal youth. From our youth participants' perspective, when they have their initial hearing, once folks are sworn in for our participant, that's they're swearing to tell the truth of the matter for our peer decision makers, they are promising to keep the details of the matter and the identity of the participant confidential. Once those initial steps are done within the hearing, our participant is asked to recount what it is that brought them here today. They may have prepared a written statement and they can read that, or they may be able to just explain in their own words. As a judge, if there's a little more information we want them to share, I can prompt them along uh, and get that information. Then, our peer decision makers will engage in their question questioning. And their questioning can include follow-up questions. I may include some follow-up questions as well. Um, it's really meant to be not an interrogation of our participant, but a conversation. And that conversation uh, will lead us to the information that will be helpful for the peer decision makers when they go to deliberations. And just before our peer decision makers are excused for deliberations, our participant is offered the opportunity to make a final statement, to add any last comments that they might want our peer decision makers to take into account. Once deliberations are completed, Peer decision makers return and the foreman delivers the decision that they reached by consensus. Their decision uh, is about the core components. They're provided some parameters. So there will be parameters as to the number of hours of community services that they'll assign. There'll be a number of hours as to cultural activities for the participant to engage in. 
And there will be parameters for the number of life skills activities that our participant must complete as well. And those will be shared during the hearing when the hearing is called back from recess. Now, in addition to hearing just what those parameters are, the number of hours and activities, the peer decision makers are asked to share their reasoning. So they may share that they found the participant um, was being very honest. They found them remorseful. They may um, note that there was um, some intense peer pressure that affected the outcome. They may know other things, and, and it's important to hear that from the participant's perspective because it's one way that we share with them that they've been heard, that um, their peers are looking hard and not um, offering up arbitrary consequences or punishments. This was a thought out process about what types of activities would be helpful for our youth in finding their way back to the community in a good way. Achima for listening.